Welcome to the HDFS Careers Podcast, the podcast featuring informal conversations with family science majors about their professional journeys. My name is Erica Jordan. Today, I'll be sharing my interview with Dr. Brian Bishop-Wilkie. Dr. Bishop-Wilkie is currently a Shopper and Category Insights Manager at Abbott Nutrition. He earned a PhD in Human Development and Family Studies from the University of Texas at Austin, a master's degree in social psychology from Texas A&M University, and a bachelor's degree in psychology from Miami University. In this episode, he shares the story of how he found the field of HDFS and his professional experiences to date. As is true for all interviewees on this podcast, Dr. Bishop Wilkie's views are his own as a private citizen and do not reflect the views of his current, former, or future employers. Without further ado, here's his interview. Well, thanks for joining me on the podcast, Dr. Bishop Wilkie. How are you today? I am. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to hear all about your really cool industry. Um, and thanks so much. I know that it's a fast-paced industry, so I, I appreciate you <laughs> taking, being willing to spare an hour to talk to me today. Um, so that we can get the most information in, let's go ahead and launch right into it. Can you first tell me about um, how you first heard about the field of human development and family sciences? Sure. Um, but first, and I, I should have said this earlier, but, you know, please call me Brian. Um, <laughs> the only time that people introduce me as Dr. Bishop Wilkie is in when I'm meeting with a customer and they want to make us sound really fancy. Yes. Uh, so I want to make uh, you yeah, sound I, fancy, I but I will call you Brian from here on out. <laughs> yeah, please call me Brian from here on out. Um, I had a boss who used to call me Doc and I called her Huckleberry, but, you know, that was more of an inside joke. Um, <laughs> Uh, from the movie Tombstone. But uh, so I heard about HDFS, and this is going to sound, uh, I, I, so my my undergrad was, you know, at, at Miami, and then I did a master's at A&M. Uh, neither of those uh, universities had a field of human development. Like there was no major, I had never heard of it before. But halfway through my graduate career, I was working with Dr. Paul Eastwick at Texas A&M University. And halfway through, he was offered a tenure track position at the University of Texas at Austin. And it was a, a it was a big, momentous uh, life decision for a lot of us, but it was not, you know, we were in the psychology department at A&M. And then the offer was for the human development and family sciences department at UT Austin. And I had, I wasn't really sure what that meant as far as a field or a degree. And it was a bit of a an identity crisis for me to, to leave psychology because my, my undergraduate was in psychology. My, my first graduate degree, my, my master's was going to be in social psychology. Yeah. And I just, I didn't know what that meant because at the time I very much wanted to be a professor and I didn't know if I could get a job in a psychology department if my degree wasn't in psychology. And so had a lot of conversations with, you know, former mentors and, you know, kind of understanding, you know, what the, the field was and, you know, over my time, I, I fell in love with what everything, you know, human development and family science is kind of like encompasses. And of course, at the time, it was an easy decision because I was studying romantic relationships. And at the time, University of Texas at Austin was like, you know, they, they called it, you know, the quartet. There was these three, four powerhouse, uh, you know, researchers there doing some really cool and really interesting work. And so that's, that's kind of how I learned about it. It was almost by accident, but also the kind of like a you know, you've never heard of it. Are you ready to change, you know, your part of what is, you know, your core identity as an academic? What is your PhD in? 
Um, yes. So yeah. it, it was it was a, maybe a weirder way about learning uh, about it, but you know, it's who you study with when you're going to graduate school. And I still wanted to study with Paul because he was he was he and he is he still is a game changer in the way that we think about you know romantic relationships. Wow. Okay. So yeah, you have to go undergo this identity crisis and just make this big mm -hmm. leap <laughs> kind of into the yeah, unknown it, it, field. Mm -hmm. um, but it turned out to be really positive. And so you mentioned that Definitely. your, yeah, uh, that's good to hear. You mentioned that your bachelor's degree is in psychology and then you were pursuing mm -hmm. social psychology. So what initially, um, uh, well, I guess you are, well, what initially kind of um, piqued your interest in even psychology and romantic relationships? And then also, can you tell us a little bit more about your college experience? Like, what did you do while you were in college? Did you only go to class or did you, were you involved in campus <laughs> and did you work? So just tell us a little bit about uh, how, how you found your initial field, what piqued your interest, and then what your college experience was like. Sure. So when I entered Miami of Ohio, uh, which, you know, we all kind of resent having to say Miami of Ohio. Miami University was a university <laughs> when technically Florida was part of Spain. Um, uh, I had a incredible intention of becoming a, a therapist, a clinical psychologist. Uh, and then I realized I, I maybe wanted to do something a bit more applied. And I thought maybe I want to take that and, and go into law enforcement. And I started like really just taking as many psychology courses as I could because I realized that perhaps you know, I, I didn't want to be a clinician. And I took a social psychology course. Uh, and it, it kind of changed the way I thought about things And I had always like, I had always heard that no matter what, if you want to go to grad school, and I kind of knew I needed to go to grad school, like even in my freshman year, that if I wanted to pursue psychology in any meaningful way, uh, like, like not like, and do something with like psychology proper, I would probably need some sort of graduate degree. And they said, if you want to get in grad school, you need to be in a lab. So my first psychology professor, I really liked her, Dr. Amanda Diekman. I loved, you know, it was a, a class on social inequality. And I asked her if I could join her lab. And it was a gender roles lab. And she said, sure. And so like for my freshman year, I started working in Dr. Diekman's lab and realizing that I liked more and more, you know, the social psychology of things as I'd go to lab meetings. And then I took my social psych courses. Uh, a mentor in the department said, you know, you might consider going to a conference, you know, and we might be able to, and this was someone in the department administration, they said, we might be able to cover some of your expenses if you want to go. Because uh, I wasn't going to present, I was a sophomore, and I went to the Society for Personality and Social Psychology's annual meeting in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And there I sat down and listened to a talk about, uh, from Dr. Eli Finkel and Paul Eastwick, about their speed dating study that a lot of people know it's i think when you're reading about you know romantic initiation and romantic partner preferences it's kind of a it's a seminal work and i just was flabbergasted that like the breadth of psychology i could study dating i could study you know love and sex and ro romance that that was absolutely fascinating to me i thought that was crazy and so i kind of came back and was like that's really neat i think i want to work toward that yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I, yeah, I took a lot of psychology courses. I always overloaded myself in psychology courses, whether I needed them or not. I, I you know, I had the opportunity to take a graduate level course, uh, in, in my undergrad and I loved that kind of work. Now, don't get me wrong. I was really busy outside of class too. My mom has always said that I like to have 11 different fingers and 10 different pies, um, or the, the <laughs> other way, 10 fingers and 11 pies. Sorry. Um, however that is. 
And so I was, I, uh, I was a bartender for two years. I worked the, the desk at the psychology department. I was in the swing dancing club. I was the president of the Psychi Honors Fraternity for a, for a year. I, um, we have a student court at Miami, which was really cool. If you had a defense that wasn't suspendable, you could appeal to a body of peers. And so I was the chief justice of that court for two years, which was a lot of fun. Um, wow. And a really a fun way to be part of the university community. And of course, you know, I, I still ran around and had tons of, uh, you know, fun with my friends. And uh, it, I had a wonderful college experience. I was busy. I don't think I ever really had downtime, uh, but I also kind of built my schedule. So that was the case. And it, it's all right. It, it's prepared me for, you know, kind of corporate America in some ways that we never stopped. Um, yeah. But, you know, and so as that kind of came to to the end and I realized it was time to start thinking about grad school, I, I kept thinking about, you know, those, those talks, uh, you know, from, from Dr. Finkel and, and, and Paul and applied to both of them. And Paul said, you know, come on down. Sounds good. And uh, went down to Texas A&M and started with him there. And then we, we talked a little bit about how he got the opportunity at UT Austin and I followed him over there. Um, and, you know, I, I kept up that kind of breakneck speed, even in graduate school. I was the president of the graduate student body for two years. I ran um, a, a coalition that advocates on behalf of uh, graduate students for a year. I you know, served in the graduate student assembly before all of that. Uh, I, I, I hosted a podcast with my lab mates called Those Love Geeks for two years. We are defunct now. We no longer we no longer <laughs> broadcast, but we had a lot of fun doing that. You know? That sounds awesome. Um, and of course, you know, I was in Austin for four years, so like, there's always something to do in Austin. You know, um, always. Yeah. I mean, we finally yeah. got to really explore that city just last month. You know, we kind of took a quarantine oh. road trip and got an Airbnb. And of course, I'm Clorox and everything in the place down. But, <laughs> but um, right, we finally right. got yeah. to see it oh. as a tourist. And it's amazing. Oh, it's an amazing town. Uh, we, I'm actually, I was absolutely heartbroken because our national sales meeting, uh, we, we intended to, to go there uh, this year. And obviously, um, or at least that was the rumor, but you know, 2020 and the pandemic kind of put the kibosh on, on traveling everywhere oh, with your yeah. colleagues. So <laughs> a pandemic ruins everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully they'll reschedule it. I know one of my conferences, like they rescheduled it out. I mean, that way the, the hotel allows them to kind of retain their investment <laughs> if they rescheduled it. Yeah. So maybe that'll happen to you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, that sounds like you were totally busy, but you definitely mm -hmm. were able to fully immerse yourself um, in at the undergraduate level and in your master's program. And I mean, clearly, obviously, your doctoral program. But I love how, you know, even though you were working, you still were able to find time to be involved. And I mean, and the work I love to hear about the variety of jobs that people held in college. Like I've had a couple of guests on this podcast who bartended um, along with a couple of graduate students, <laughs> you know, that I've had in previous roles. And uh, it, it's amazing because we talk about how these jobs that initially people think, oh, that has nothing to do with your degree. I always tell my students, no, <laughs> you, uh, you are actually picking up a lot of skills and you never know where those uh, might lead. First of all, you have to learn how to deal with a variety of different types of people and manage oh, yes. you know, so much in a fast paced environment. You know, so even something like bartending or waiting tables or, you know, working retail, people, they don't initially think that it's connected. It's like, no, it's connected. <laughs> um, it's all, it's Any, all connected. Anything where you, yeah, anything where you deal with people yes. is going to give you some sort of, of skill. Yes. Um, I agree. So. 
I, I, I hear that. Yeah. Um, okay. So you, let's pick it back up where you make this leap. To, well, tell me what graduate school is like for you. Um, I guess in comparison to your undergraduate experience, but then also just, just anything you want to share about kind of your classes or your research or what that experience was like for you. Sure. I mean, graduate school is fun. You, you make, I made wonderful friends. I had a huge cohort at Texas A&M because there was a number of individuals who were just starting. They had hired a number of uh, assistant pr uh, professors and they all took students. And so I think my cohort for just the social segment was like 10 or 11 people. Oh, wow. Um, it, was a, it was a lot of us. You know, it was a pain in the butt to plan parties, um, <laughs> you know, trying to get everyone scheduled down because, you know, someone's running research or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, I think... Graduate school, I wasn't prepared for the lack of focus necessarily on, I don't want to say you don't focus on your classes in graduate school, but you, do, you totally do. But it's, it's a definitely a different kind of focus because it's all about the ability to take what you're learning and apply it immediately to your research. And if you're, you're working towards a research degree, you need to be writing and writing and writing and writing. Everyone who, if you end to go into graduate school, you're probably going to be gifted the book, How to Write a Lot. Yes, um, which is yep, a, which is I've a great it. book. Um, you you read it and you need to be writing. And I'll be super honest. I wasn't as disciplined a writer as I should have been. I I don't think uh, my advisor would definitely not disagree with that. Um, <laughs> I love writing. Um, and I think I, I think that's where eventually my disconnect with academia kind of came to the fore. Because as much as I love going to classes and learning and writing the papers there and you know kind of learning about things academic writing was not something that brought me a lot of joy, you know, to, to use that Marie Kondo kind of thought. And I, I looked at yeah. some of my colleagues who were like publishing like crazy and just, you know, rock stars, uh, you know, I, one of your former guests, Dr. Liz Kineski, rock star. Wow. A girl can write, you know, um, and she's a good writer too. Uh, and, you know, that was something that I was like, I can do this, but it requires so much effort that I don't, enjoy and if you don't enjoy it i had to seriously start thinking about what do i want to do yeah and i realized this a little bit too late in my graduate school program i realized it somewhere around year four of six and so like around that time i still began a job hunt and i, I tried to apply to you know uh, tenure track positions and, and, and uh, professor positions that had a really good mix of like requiring you know publications as well as teaching uh, and tried to find as many opportunities to teach as I could, uh, which are fewer and far far between uh, for, in Austin for me at the time because I came a little late to the game. And so somewhere around you know the end of that first academic job search, and it was it was so demoralizing. You know, I I had no phone screens, I had no interviews. It yeah. was really disappointing, and I knew why. You know, so that was a, a really hard part. Uh, of that. I mean, it's nothing but rejection on a good day, you know, even when you are, it's still like 90% rejection, even when you are a super qualified candidate. And that's true for corporate job hunting too. But I, I realized in between there that perhaps I need to figure out what I want to do with a degree that's not, that's not a, being a professor. And that, that was a big identity crisis for me too, because I had built almost nine years of my life along around the idea of wanting to be a professor. And it's still part of me. I still love the idea of being in front of a class and being a professor. Um, 
And, you know, one of my favorite things to do in the world at my current job is we have these, you know, little opportunities called lunch and learns where I get to get up and present research to people. It's still tons of fun to me. Uh, but thankfully during that time, I had a really, one, I had a great cohort that was like beginning to, so, like all of the graduate students and faculty, you know, like realizing that perhaps we're going to go and not have students that don't go into academia. And we're going to look into different opportunities for what that means. And so we're starting to build this support network of how can we help each other do that. And I was working with the graduate student assembly at the time and had, you know, allies in uh, the graduate school and in the dean of student affairs office and lots of advice and lots of, you know, career connects uh, individuals like a, a huge, you know, shout out. I'm going to drop name drop here to uh, Tatum Oldham and Dr. Posanku at the University of Texas at Austin because they were lifesavers to me, helping me prepare for what a, a job outside of academia would look like and, and helping me develop a resume that, you know, took everything that I was learning. Like you were, you and I were talking about all those different jobs earlier, you know, everything that I was learning and doing at UT and turn it into like actionable skills and things that a, an employer might want to see. Yeah. And then, you know, I spent that next year doing a lot of job hunting there too, it, you know, but in a completely different way. And that's still 90% rejection, but I'm, I'm just getting some offer, getting some interviews and talking with people and learning the whole time. Um, and so graduate school, like I, I, I'm going to go back. Your original question was, what was graduate school life? And I, my, I think the thing that comes right to my head, right off the top of the tongue is tough. Yeah, because it's a it's it's you're 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 really truly being a, a, you know, like an, an adult adult uh, for me anyway. I was being an adult adult for the first time, uh, you know, managing my my job, managing a job hunt, managing my skills. I was you know I got um, my my wife and I got married at that time, and we had two major moves, you know, yeah. to for, for down to Texas and down then over to Austin. Um, like lots is going on for me, like being an adult and graduate school is tough because it is, it, it is meant to be, it is, you know, graduate school at the end goal of a PhD is the creation of knowledge and creation is hard. Just that, that academic writing process is not for everyone. And that's not, even if you can do it, if it's taking that much out of you and it's not really bringing you joy, that's kind of, ugh, it's kind of a daunting thing to commit to doing for your entire career <laughs> but there's not much guidance in terms of academic careers especially when you were going through your program i mean there's a little bit more now but there hasn't been much guidance so i'm it's great to hear that you had those two mentors at texas a&m who were really able to help you navigate um, that non-academic job search process yeah, and I, I mean, I've got to say that, you know, like they, they were in the career centers and they, you know, it, it, they met with me more than like technically, I'm fairly sure, like I was allowed to request appointments with them. <laughs> um, but they were, you know, and, and you're right. It's, you know, at the time, I think, and maybe still, uh, you know, those two individuals service all of the graduate students in yeah. the College of Natural Sciences and the College of Liberal Arts looking to, you know, find help in the, in the career center. I mean, there's 13, there were, uh, you know, I think about 13,000 graduate students at the University of Texas at Austin, you know, don't quote me on that number. Um, but, uh, you know, when I was there, and so like, in College of Liberal Arts, College of Natural Sciences, huge colleges, that's a lot of people for two dedicated individuals. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I will always be thankful to them. And whenever I get an email from a graduate student, like, I'm thinking about this, I'm like, have you talked to Poson? Have you talked to Tatum? Go talk to them you know, right. so I'm yeah. still sending a business. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, that, 
it's like, yeah, I have a great referral for you. That's awesome. So um, you, you um, finally do, I assume, land a job. Tell us about your first job outside of this doctoral program. So that's a tricky question because technically my first job was after my, I graduated in the summer and so my stipend ran out and I was thankfully given a job as a, I think the technical term was a student development specialist uh, awesome. within the vice president of a student affairs office. Oh, great. Um, and it, it was a, a, it was supposed to be a year gig with the understanding that I would be job searching during that time. Um, and, you know, it helped that I had a lot of institutional knowledge about the University of Texas at Austin. I was working, you know, with one of my mentors, with, with um, the VP of Student Affairs, Dr. Lilly. And, um, you know, like, so I, I was doing that job. And right there, I was helping, like, kind of, you know, guide some of the student affairs professionals as they were beginning to, like, it was, there was, there was a lot of hodgepodge in that job because I did some things that were about data aggregation. I did some things that was advising, uh, you know, student organizations. I did, uh, you know, some work around, I'm trying to think of all the projects because I only had about three months in that job because about three months later, I was given, I was offered a job in Columbus, Ohio at Bob Evans Farms, uh, which at the time was one big company. It was both restaurants and consumer packaged goods uh, in their category management field. Um, and one of my, my favorite things about that was because the job hunt was really difficult, especially for like companies that don't have a, a track to already hire people who have PhDs, like, um, a very specialized PhD, say in economics or a PhD, uh, a program, like you see it, like the big three consulting firms, they have okay. offered, they have like a, a, a line in like McKinsey and company, Boston consulting group. I had several interviews with them and always pooched a. Uh, a math question and you had had about a thousand for them um, to get those gigs. I had a number of friends who got those gigs. Um, But, you know, if they don't have something like that and you're going on these interviews and someone hasn't really been briefed on who you are and what you're doing, I sat down uh, at my first interview with the, the, the VP and who would be my direct manager. And they said, so, you know, talk to us about your experience with like, you know, statistics and math and like translating numbers into, sto- you know, data into stories. I'm like, and that's what I do as a researcher, right? That's like what we do. Yeah. We tell a story with data. Yeah. And like, that's what this job was. And so I was like, I was explaining all of that. And they're like, all right, now, you know, this job's in Columbus, right? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, are you sure you want to move here? Uh, I was like, yes, I, I am quite sure. I'm from Ohio. My wife's family's from Ohio. We'd love to come back to Ohio. This would be great. And they're like, are you sure? Like, yes. Yes, I'm very sure. Um, and, it, and then I came to an in-person interview and it was the guy who would be my, my mentor at work um, and the, the VP of sales uh, at the time, you know, sat down and he's like, he looked at my resume and he's like, so what are you doing here? Why are you interviewing for this job? Like oh my, my. my degree separated me from the ability to want a job like this. And I was like, no, no, not at all. Um, I, I want to do something like this because as I understand this job is about telling stories with data and I'm really good at that and I like the fast paced nature of it and I, I want to do that. And so I got this job and I, and I started and like, here's the thing. I had zero idea what category management was. I did not know. All I knew was I had a set of tra- transferable skills that my employer at the time was willing to take a chance on me because I, you know, was a fast learner. Um, you know, a PhD is kind of a degree in learning in some yeah. ways. Yes. Uh, and Thankfully, my my boss was like, all right, we're going to get you all, you know, 
set up in category management. We're going to teach you all about it. And like within two years, I was a certified professional category manager, which was a lot of fun. Um, and it was a whirlwind of two and a half years at Bob Evans Farms because I was learning so much about what it meant to be in a non-academic setting. I was learning so much about a field uh, called category management. I was learning a great deal about the consumer packaged goods industry. And like while I was there, like four months after I joined or something like that, Bob Evans divested the restaurants from their portfolio. And, uh, you know, anytime there's an org shakeup and you're the new guy in the totem pole, you're like a little scared. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so they, they got the, the restaurants became their own entity. And then like less than 12 months later, we got bought by Post Holdings Corporation. Um, and again, corporate shakeup, I'm still the newest guy on the category management team. I'm a little worried, um, oh, no. you know, and so it, it's, it, it was, it was a, an incredible learning experience when you write down your grocery list with very few exceptions, you write down the category that you're going to buy. You need chips, you need salsa. You, you don't write down Tostinos, you don't write down, you know, your salsa brand, unless you're like a diehard fanatic of that. Yeah. So your grocery store and everything else that you shop in is managed, is it, is it a category? Consumers think at the category level for the most part. And so category management on both the, uh, especially on the, the manufacturer side, our job is to help retailers think about where the category is, where it's going, what products, what trends are uh, consumers highlighting on, what is the right size of your category? When you think about uh, like how your shelf is laid out, if you've never thought about how your shelf is laid out, that's called a planogram. And like in my job, I draw planograms because I think it's important that the flow of, you know, and I conduct research to say, you know, shoppers find this planogram more uh, easily shopped or yes. they had more trouble finding their product in that, in that research, you know? Um, Thank so goodness for you because I, I hate when I go into a store and it's the type of store where I have to do 20 loops to find <laughs> what should be simple <laughs> things. They need you to come and help them. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, and that's what category management is for. And so like for the most part, category management, I think about it as the most academic because we're not sales. We're not supposed to sell uh, to, to our retailers. We don't sell our products. What we do is we provide a brand agnostic standpoint of uh, what's happening in these individual categories. Now, like for example, you know, at Bob Evans, I played in the uh, refrigerated sides category because we sold, and sausage, because we made breakfast sausage and we made like refrigerated mashed potatoes that you can heat up in your microwave. It tastes just like your mom made, you know? Um, and so that was the kind of, you know, advice we were giving in that way. Um, some retailers take it really seriously, like sales and, and category can't, management can't even be in the same room. You know, some retailers don't take it as seriously uh, because like they really value that firewall that's there. And so it's a really interesting field uh, because category management you know, covers a lot. And it's a really intersectional field in a business way, because, you know, even though you don't talk to like salespeople with the retailer, you, you know, you still have to talk to your salespeople. You have to talk to your marketing people. You have to talk to your supply chain. You need to talk to your market research team, uh, you know, and you're kind of at the middle of all of that because you're going to use that to tell the retailer here's what's happening in mashed potatoes. Yeah. You have to have strong communication skills and then you mm. have strong collaboration <laughs> skills because you're bringing together, you're, you're at the intersection of all these different entities and people and stakeholders. Yeah. 
and an ability to prioritize because you're going to be overwhelmed with information, which is a pretty standard thing. And like, you know, any moment, any moment past the creation of the internet, uh, <laughs> but you, you've got to be able to like sift through, you know, what is the wheat? What is the chaff? What am I going to put in front of my buyer so that he has the, or he or she has the best understanding of what's happening. Yeah. Okay. So you're, and then and on the other side of it, on like the retailer side, there's category managers who are looking like super specifically at like, you know, how is our category performing in our retailer chain, in our Publix, in our Walmart, you know, whatever it may be. And they, we have a, you have a conversation and they feed up to the buyer as well. You know, so it's like two sources of information coming to one point of truth for the retailer. Got it. Got it. Okay. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, so you're in that role for a, a little over a year almost a couple two and, of and a half years or so okay and then, I, I was promoted from analyst to senior analyst uh. okay okay um and so after the promotion i mean is, are your roles still pretty similar yeah i mean responsibility and in, in the in the senior analyst role i actually became like the lead person for bob evans to talk to like the meyer corporation you know um, yeah. and i did a little bit more statistical work um doing some forecasting and things like that sitting in uh, you know, uh, VP rooms and trying to explain the R squared value and why we need to value it in this case, but it doesn't really matter in this case, you know. Yep. Pay attention statistics. to your statistics class, kids. Like, I was just about to say uh, that. <laughs> uh, uh, Arthur C. Clarke has this thing like any technology insufficient uh, or sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. Uh, and I view the same thing about statistics. Um, you are called a magician, you are a stats wizard if you can do stats. Um, yeah at any level uh, above like, you know, your intro level. So pay attention to your stats classes. That's right. And hey, if you have the opportunity <laughs> to take some advanced ones, do it. Oh, definitely. Okay. Um, all right. So you're at Bob Evans. See, I, I have, mm -hmm. I have, um, I think, seen and tasted the sausage before. It is good sausage. <laughs> <laughs> it is good. It is I good. I can vouch for that. So what's your next step after that? Uh, I was approached by a recruiter, actually. Uh, my my LinkedIn was set to like open to hearing for people, but like wasn't actively looking. Um, gotcha. And I, I got a message from a recruiter, and I think it's always important to have a conversation in those moments. It's I I don't think that I think loyalty to um, your job is okay. I think it's very important if you identify with the company and you like what you're doing. You know, kind of where I am now. Um, uh, but I got approached by a recruiter, and they said, would you like to learn about Avid? And I said, sure, let's learn. Let's talk about it. You know, maybe it's something I'm interested in. Maybe it's not. And the more we talked about it, you know, I went from uh, pure category management in some ways. So like what, what, the, what the role is initially designed to what we call shopper experience, which is like category management. It's very similar to category management. But in this case, I got to do a little bit more research. I get to do a little bit more strategic planning in some ways a little bit more trend work to understand, you know, where shoppers are going. And I, I start the process of interviewing with Abbott and I, I like my team and I like my boss and I like my director and I like, you know, the, the, the different fields that we play in. And I think it makes a lot of sense, especially some of those like classes that I began taking at UT Austin, which were more human development focused because I am working for a company now that makes formula and makes uh, nutrition supplements 
And, uh, you know, Abbott Nutrition makes things like Insure and Pedialyte and uh, Similac. Like we are, like we make some, like most people I don't think know us for like our name is on those bottles, but I don't think if you, you know. I've never noticed uh, them. I, I've I bought Pedialyte. <laughs> right, right. Well, like when I bought Pedialyte in the past, um, you know, I didn't know it was made by Abbott. Um, but, you know, now I do. And I think more and more people are learning about that, honestly, because Abbott is obviously a huge company. I work in the nutrition products division. We have diagnostics. You've probably heard about us on the news because we've come out with like our, you know, our rapid diagnostics team has come out with like four different mm. um, rapid tests for COVID-19. Wow. Um, okay. And so like, yeah, we, we're hearing about that. And like, obviously we're a nutrition company. So we think it's very important, especially when you're sick, that you're getting the right nutrition. Um, and I, I was, you know, when they say you're going to study the shopper and you're thinking about who is the shopper for Similac, it's mom, right? And, and who is the shopper for Insure? It, it's someone who's battling like a chronic condition or, you know, trying to change their, uh, you know, improve their health in some way. Well, I've got a degree in human development. I've taken a bunch of classes on attachment theory and what moms do and how that works and, you know, parenting styles. And I've taken, you know, like we, uh, you know, we had classes on um, aging and uh, health. Yeah. And, you know, I've taken classes in, in M-Psych too, where it's, it's about, you know, like, how do you stay healthy in some ways and you're the importance of, of, of healthy genes, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, I'm like, I can like bring some subject matter expertise here as well. Um, now I work on the adult side of the business. So I work for uh, the, the therapeutic nutrition brands, not the, the formula or anything like that, but I'm very connected to my, my, my formula and my kid toddler nutrition kind of groups as well, because we all work in the same spot yeah. uh, and uh, everything like that. So I felt an opportunity at Abbott that I could apply maybe some of my subject matter expertise or SME, if you'll call it. Um, uh, some, that's what they call it in the biz. Uh, oh, cool. SME. Uh, yeah, it's a subject matter expert, SME. Um, <laughs> uh, and I just kind of jumped at that opportunity and I have had nothing. Uh, it's been two years, almost two years here now. And I've had nothing but learning opportunities. That's all it's been. Um, I am just learning so much at all times about all different parts of the business. Because again, just like in category management, I'm talking to sales development. I'm talking to marketing. I'm talking to innovation. I'm talking to supply chain. I talk to the actual category managers. I talk to the actual sales folks. Like I'm just all sorts of opportunities coming at me left and right for me to, to really learn about where we're going and what we're doing and how to, to best, you know, aid the shopper. Cause that's my goal is to make sure that the shopper walks into the category and can find what they're looking for and is happy with their experience. Cause we want them to come back and buy it again. Yeah. I mean, and then now it's so clear, um, the common thread throughout your college experience, um, <laughs> your master's program experience, and even your initial desire, you know, when you were in college, uh, the reason you could see yourself being a professor, I think it's because you love to learn. I mean, and you constantly are in these roles now where, you know, you're learning about, you're able to bring your knowledge, you're able to be a SME, <laughs> but, um, but then you also still have all these opportunities to continue to learn more and expand your knowledge base. And I think that, you know, sometimes there's this misconception that you have to be in the ivory tower <laughs> in order to be learning. And that just couldn't be 
couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, of course, there's a lot of learning that goes on in academia and higher education, at least so we hope. <laughs> I think so. Um, but there's so much learning that goes on in other industries as well and in other settings as well. So it's just really, it strikes me how much you talk about learning because it's clear that you have a passion for that. If I, I yes, that is very, very true. I don't, who, uh, the life, the, the unexamined life is not worth living. Who's that quote? I um, have no clue, but we can Google it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to guess it's a, it's an old Greek guy. Um, I believe <laughs> I was like a, a, a Greek philosopher of some sort. Um, but maybe, maybe, maybe it's Socrates. It's probably Socrates. Um, you know, Socratic method. I'm a big fan of the Socratic Plato. method. You know, but, Plato's uh, credited. Uh, yeah. Okay, Plato's credit. Okay, well, Plato, Socrates, you know, Socrates yeah. wrote it down. Um, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, so like, that's just kind of where I, I, I am. There's so many learning opportunities. Now, obviously, like, again, uh, a skill that comes with that is prioritization. Um, because there's always something new to learn. And you do have to think, if I learn this, what, how's it going to help me? You know, not to say that I, I believe you have to always be looking out for number one, but you also have to be respectful of, you know, your own time. Is it going to help me because it's going to help me advance my career? Is it going to help me because it provides me a form of sanity? Is it going to help me uh, because it's, or is it going to help me just because I find it interesting and I've got the time, you know, but in those moments when you don't have the time, prioritization about what you're going to learn is important. Yeah. Well, and you were actually were right. Sorry. It was Socrates and Plato then discussed oh. it later. So sorry. Oh, so I had it backwards then. Okay. No, no, no. Socrates you had it correct. Plato wrote it down. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. I had it backwards. I threw okay. you off, but you're right. It was Socrates. And then, yeah, Plato wrote it down. Um, yeah. No, it totally makes sense. Um, yeah. It, it, it seems like you embodied that. Is there anything else you want to share about your current role? I mean, I think it's important no matter what you're doing with your degree, um, whether it seems, you know, whether you want to, whether your employer finds it relevant or not, you know, whether it was my role at Bob Evans, you're like, do you really want this role? Or at yeah. here at Abbott where it's like, hey, we'd like to use it, is that your degree is more than the title of your major. Yeah. Um, and so in in my current role, you know, I, I have a lot of opportunity to talk about relationship building, mm. building relationships, not only with like my, my direct, my, my coworkers, but also the buyers that I, I end up talking to. And ultimately through like a really long winded, like connection point to the shopper. Yeah. Uh, I am by training a relationships researcher. I don't forget that at any point in time. Yeah. So a lot of the point that I, when I walk into, you know, a meeting and we have a new building or we have a new project or whatever it may be, I want to know one, how can I meaningfully add to this project? What can I meaningfully add? Is it going to be a point of data? Is it going to be a subject matter expertise? Is it going to be the voice of the shopper? And then my second question is how will that addition enhance the relationships around me? You know, how will I make sure that I'm not a toxic part of this group? I am a, you know, I am 
adding value in some way. And like, that's, that's kind of the core of the, the relationship. Like when you're studying relationships and you're like, you know, what is, what, what makes good relationships? Well, everyone's going to come back and say, you know, communication or whatever it may be. But like, I don't know. I feel like there's a holistic aspect of what I do. Yeah. Where I am trying to build a relationship, not only with my coworkers and my, my, my clients, but also the shopper. Um, and I, I try to keep that in mind. Uh, in my current role, because I think there's a great opportunity to do it there. Not that there wasn't at Bob Evans either, but I mean, like this is, this is a bit more specific about that. So I think that's all it, uh, that's about it for my current role. Yeah. That's really an interesting way to kind of frame it and to, to kind of focus your personal kind of professional mission and fit it within Mm -hmm. the mission of the organization. Okay. So to close, uh, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share? And then do you have any, um, advice for um, either students or new professionals? I think, I think I'll transition and talk right about what I think is the best advice that I can give individuals. Because I've already told you one of my big pieces of advice, which is pay attention in your stats class. Yeah. Um, but I think the other part of it is, is a level of flexibility. I think when I was in what we'll call just, you know, the darkest days of my graduate work, where I wasn't getting any bites on all my academic uh, applications and I wasn't happy with the kind of work that I was doing. And I was having an identity crisis about where I wanted my life to go next. I, I think a lot of that came from like a very rigid idea in my mind that I needed to be a professor. That's what I was training for. If you had told me two years into my graduate work that I would not be a professor, that instead I would be a researcher and a, you know, a shopper expert at a large nutrition company, I would have called you, you know, an absolute liar. And it it would have been very hard for me to disentangle that vision of myself. So it's not to say that if you don't have a passion, you shouldn't chase it. But I am saying that I think the, one of the biggest points of flexibility, especially if you're a graduate researcher or an undergraduate trying to figure out what you're going to do with human development. I mean, human development is a huge field. If you're not taking something very, very specific and you don't have a very, very specific, you know, set of, you know, jobs that you're chasing after, be open to different ways for you to apply your knowledge. Be open for you to like really think about what you, what it is you're bringing to the table you know, when you're on the job hunt, like, what do you know a lot about? Are you a super, did you, you know, focus your researching on, on aging? Is, is that what you're, you know, what you researched? How can you bring that to a nutrition company like mine, you know, where we're trying to figure out exactly what motivates you and how, when it changes, at what age does it changes? Is that something you thought about? Is that something that you would consider doing? you know, be open to lots of opportunities because it's not, you're going to find a way to bring what you know best to the fore somehow or another. It doesn't always have to be in this, this box that you've written for yourself, um, you know, early on. And that was, that was a really hard lesson for me. And I'm really happy I learned it. You know, maybe I learned it a little late, but, um, no, I mean, because I'm, I'm just, I'm so very happy with where I am right now. Um, and not to say that, uh, you know, I wouldn't have been happy as a professor, but 
if I hadn't opened my, 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 my mind to the idea of being flexible and moving around this way, it, it certainly wouldn't have turned out as happy as I think I am. That's great advice. I mean, yeah, flexibility and open-mindedness, open-mindedness. Mm -hmm. And statistics. Me. And statistics. <laughs> and statistics. Statistics is magic. Statistics is power. But um, yes, 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 yes. But flexibility <laughs> and open-mindedness, I mean, speaking of aging, I mean, we know people who are able to be more flexible um, in terms of possibility for themselves. I mean, they're just able to mm -hmm. be more resilient. <laughs> You know, I mean, those are always good skills to have, you know, certainly have a goal, pursue your goal. But I think, yeah, you do yourself a disservice if, if, um, if you only have a single singular tunnel vision, just because I mean, too, as the pandemic has told us, you just never know how things might turn out. And so it helps to have a, de a degree of flexibility and open mindedness in case you need to change course. And I, you, you say that you found it out late. I'm thinking, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you landed in these roles pretty soon after your doctoral program. Um, so it doesn't really seem late to me, but I guess when you're in the thick of it and you're so focused on that one specific goal, it can, can kind of feel Well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll lay it out here. I'm only 32 years old. So when I learned it when I was like 26 or 27, uh, you know, that seems late to me. I've only, I've had way more years thinking I was going to be doing something different, uh, you know, yeah. than, than I did, you know, in my current role. So it's all relative. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a fun um, interview for me, especially because, okay, so my first official paid job, like paid kind of full mm -hmm. summer job was for a market research company. And then I worked for a second one when I was in college and I just loved it. I loved the fast paced environment <laughs> and I loved um, what's something that you've touched on. You know, I didn't want to throw this in there earlier, but just the empowerment of the shopper. I mean, and kind of feeling like, you know, you can give a voice to the customer. I thought it was fabulous. <laughs> um, yeah. That's, so it's, it's a, it's a really empowering moment because and it, it was the thing for me is it is it, I, I don't know if it did it for you but it changes the way you shop yes um it, it changes the way you view things because you're like oh that's there because oh well they're trying to move that product because yeah. you know it, like you you know the typical motivations behind you know and there's a book by paco underhill called why we buy it's kind of like a seminal work in um like marketing, like everyone reads it at some point, or it was recommended to be by several people. Like I don't, I, maybe I won't call it seminal because it's not very academic, but um, you know, like it, but it's all about understanding what motivates individuals and the kind of research that market researchers do. And those little bitty changes that, you know, don't seem like they might matter that all of a sudden increase your desire to buy or to not buy by some ridiculous amount. Yeah. Uh, you know, for sure. And then, and then like when there's a situation and the customer flat out hates something, <laughs> then mm -hmm. hey, at least they mm -hmm. are empowered with the knowledge to adjust. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, and I live in a part of the, the, the country where like we are, where we, uh, Ohio in the Dayton, Columbus general area is called like America's Test Kitchen. Uh-huh. Um, so a lot of products come at us uh, that are like food related that are just like, they're just trying it out on us to see how we respond to it. Yes. Um, uh, and cool. so, like, I've tried every color of Mountain Dew you can imagine, and not all of them keep on the shelves. <laughs>
It's so much fun. Oh gosh. Um, and I've loved hearing from you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know we are right at time, um, but thank you. I really appreciate it. And I know students and um, maybe even people who are thinking about changing careers are going to be really um, inspired by your story. Well, I, that is high phrase. Thank you. I don't think that I would ever think my story to be inspiring, uh, but I'm all about relationships. So, you know, if, you know, obviously my, my content, you're going to have my name up on this episode. And, you know, for yeah. those out there who are looking for me on LinkedIn and you want to send me a message and you're going to tell me because you heard about me on this podcast and you want to pick my brain, do so. Um, you know, I, I don't have a ton of hours in the day, but I think that those types of relationships and those types of uh, moments of advice are really important and they should not be ignored, especially when you have it, in my opinion, as good as I have it, where I have a really good job doing something I love and I want to make sure that other people have that too, with a, that, that pay it forward kind of thing. So uh, here's my official way of saying, if you're going to reach out to me on LinkedIn, I'm not just going to ignore you as long as you're not just trying to sell me something. <laughs> awesome. That's so generous <laughs> of you, seriously. Um, that, that's great because yeah, we do, um, we, we do often have people who want to reach out and they're not sure if it's okay. So thank you so much for right. Yeah. And we didn't even get to all the nonprofit stuff I do. That's another, that's another, that's another episode, I guess. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> I had to talk to you about it on LinkedIn. Man, I feel like I missed out. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Oh, it, 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 yeah. Now, we'll, it, it, uh, just a, a quick plug. You know, it's the, the Coalition for the Promotion of American Graduate Education. We help graduate students who are out there, you know, advocating on behalf of their colleagues to, you know, legislators and policymakers. And we try to make it so that it's a little less onerous for them. Uh, oh, so right. it's on my LinkedIn. You can see it. Yeah, it, it's a really important service that I think kind of gets uh I, I don't. I don't think that graduate students are forgotten by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think they're incredibly busy. And so, for the graduate students that take the time to to fight for their colleagues, we we just try to give them a little bit of help, a little bit of advice, uh, mentorship, and where we can a little bit of funds. That's awesome. That is a, such an important um, mission. Thank you so much for sharing that as well. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciated this. Thank you, Eric. It was a pleasure to be on. I I really appreciate the uh, the opportunity. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the HDFS Careers Podcast. If you have recommendations for HDFS or other family science alumni to interview, please reach out to me at hdfscareers.com. Don't worry if they're not working on a job that would normally be considered in the field. I'm interested in hearing a variety of stories, especially if they're working outside of academia. If you like this podcast and want other people to be able to find it, please rate it and review it on iTunes or share it on social media. Until next time, keep exploring your future possibilities.